Well, as, as R.A. said, in two days, um, we'll have an election, and uh, it will be a big one. So I appreciate his words um, and the kids' input, and the sermon today is, is oriented around that. We've kind of been in a rough series-ish, uh, with a lot dealing with uh, looking to the Lord in the midst of either stressful times or anxious times, and that's what the sermon uh, is about today related to um, who is king, you know, who's our leader. So we're going to be in Psalm 2 today. You probably saw that in your bulletin, so you can look there with me. But yes, in two days, we're going to end what is perhaps the most divisive and angry election season we've ever had in this country. And you could say uh, we've been witnessing a political circus for the past nine months or so, but really that's just the surface. You know, what's going on underneath is that nations and peoples and parties are scheming and plotting for King of the Hill. Remember that game when you were a kid, King of the Hill? People are clamoring to take the place of God, and God will have none of it. That's what's really going on underneath. In every election, the temptation is for us to shrink our world down to the size of our world. Or, you can think of it this way, it's to look at the footnote at the bottom of the page rather than the whole story. We get so fixated on that footnote. For those of you academics in the room, you love footnotes. I love this footnote. But don't miss the whole story. Footnotes are important. It's just not the whole thing. So we need something that will enable us to see uh, beyond our world. We need something that will expand our world and our vision of what's going on. And we have to ask, well, what's going to answer our need? Well, thankfully, uh, God's world is bigger than ours in the world of the election and politics, and he invites us into it. And the answer comes in Messiah, Jesus, Messiah. And Psalm 2 helps us. It helps us restore perspective. Uh, it helps us orient ourselves to uh, the big world, the grand world, the massive world of Messiah. So look at Psalm 2 with me. This is the word of the Lord. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree that the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You will crush them with a rod of iron and, break, and uh, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
So there's two levels to this psalm. Uh, the first level is the historical level and what's going on uh, during the time it was written. The background of the psalm is uh, God's covenant with David. And God made a covenant with David and he said, through your offspring, I'm going to rule the world. Uh, the king would be the representative for God on earth. And God's kingdom would come through the king. And he would set up his throne in Zion. You saw that word in the, the psalm. That's another word for Jerusalem. That's where God would reign through the king. And like today, back then, there were kings who plotted and schemed to take over people and lands and industry of other kings. And this psalm was written uh, from the perspective that there were other kings out there who hated God's king and hated God and wanted to take over. And so God's people would sing this song to remind themselves of who their king really was and to declare to the nations, all your efforts will ultimately be futile. You won't succeed. You can't succeed. That's level one. So the second level, it stretches across redemptive history. As you read the psalm, it becomes pretty obvious that the king mentioned here is no mere human. Couldn't do some of these things. Indeed, uh, impossible because David himself died and all of his offspring died. So he can't be the one who inherited the nations. And in, in in verse 2, you saw this word. I'm going to grab some water. In verse 2, you saw this word, uh, anointed. What's the Hebrew word for anointed one? Do you know it? Mashiach. Can you say that? Mashiach. Yeah. I mean, what's it sound like? Messiah, right? You know the Greek word for that. What is it? Christ. Christos. Christ. This is about somebody more than David and and uh, I don't know if Mina, if you saw my sermon notes, but she read the passage I was going to read, so I don't have to read it. You know, remember what Mina read? Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The apostles saw that Psalm 2 comes to a climax in the death of Jesus. That it's representative of the nation's raging and the people's plotting that this man, this innocent man, who is the anointed one, was killed. The peoples of the world have always been plotting against God and his anointed ones. And Jesus is the climax of that. And it's still going on today. And our response to this must be that the Messiah becomes our refuge. We can't join the nations in the scheming and the plotting to uh, break free from all God interference in their life. That's what this game of King, on the Hill, King of the Hill is. I don't want any God interference. I want to be the one. I want to be the anointed one. So we're going to ask three questions of this psalm. We're going to turn to it and explore what God has to say to us. The first one we're going to ask is, why did the nations rage? Two, how will God respond? And then three, where will you look to for refuge? So let's start. Why did the nations rage? You know, the peoples, these opponents, they're, they're numerous there's nations, there's peoples, and they're prestigious. It, it says that there's rulers and kings. Most of the people in the world and most of the important people in the world do not want God to reign over them, right? We know that. We are a minority. Here's what they say. Verse 3. 
Let us burst their bonds, the Lord and his anointed. Let's burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. Uh, God's word and his reign are like shackles to them. We want to burst them apart. We don't want any God interference. Now, if you're a Christian, you see that as freedom, but they do see it as shackles. That's why they're raging. That's why there are elections and campaigns. And we'll get to it later. Those are, those are not evil things in and of themselves. But what's going on underneath is somebody's got to rule. Somebody's got to reign. And it's going to be me. That's what's going on. Now, to be included in the raging, uh, you don't have to marshal a crusade against God. You don't have to write a nasty blog about Jesus. You don't have to curse his followers. You don't have to speak the words. All you have to do is live in a way that you would say or show that Jesus of Nazareth is not Messiah. That's all you have to do to be a part of this. All you have to do to fulfill Psalm 2 is want to break free from the God interference in your life. So this is poetry, right? Nobody actually said verse 3. It's a general disposition that the nations have against God. Now, most people don't wake up uh, maliciously saying this, right? Purposely saying this. Nobody wakes up saying, I want to purposefully break free from Messiah in my life, and I want to take this country away from the true Messiah. Nobody wakes up saying that, and nobody would say it to you because they want you to vote for them, right? But it doesn't mean it's not true just because somebody's not saying that. And so these, three, these first three verses here, this is exposing what's wrong with our country. This is exposing why every nation has problems. Because God is not king. Now, now you might object, or I'm trying to anticipate a rejection, and you might say, well, you're trying to just throw the whole uh, political baby out with the election bathwater. Uh, this one's bad, so just throw out the whole thing. No. Hear me clear. Government is good. It's ordained by God. And this country has created the most ingenious system of government the world has ever seen. And that is a common grace gift from the Lord. No doubt about that. So you should vote. You should love your country. I'm, I'm patriotic. Man, do the Olympics bring out patriotism in me. I love the United States of America. But what Psalm 2 is, it shows us there's another side of the coin, and it's a dark side, and nobody should be fooled at what's really going on. So to care about your country and the election on one hand, and to see it for what it really is on the other, is not mutually exclusive. You can do both. We don't have to be that black and white. So now we have to ask, what's God's response? You know, how will he respond to this? So earlier I said, you know, we see elections... Uh, they make us shrink down to the size of our world. And it's just, everything is around, revolving around that. Now, the thing about Psalm 2 is it doesn't leave us there. You know, it opens up our eyes to a big, big world, a Messiah-sized world. There's more things going on than we could possibly imagine. And so look at God's response. That's where we see it. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. That's a word for mocking. Your NIV might say scoffs. The Lord scoffs at them. You know, you can take the arrogance of politicians too seriously. But God laughs. So will you join him in the laughter? And this isn't kind of a laughter like, ha ha, I'm better than you. Ha ha, you're stupid. But it's the kind of laughter 
like my 14-month-old Titus trying to push me off the couch when we're playing King of the Hill. It's like I realized, what is this? Of course God would laugh. He'd say, you're all trying to be me. And he would laugh at that. So laughter restores perspective. It restores a lot of perspective. But then it moves on. It says that he holds them in derision, mocks them. And this is God we're talking about, to the nations. And then it moves to wrath. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So God's response is to give us his own king. It's to install his own king. Now how has Jesus installed his king? He goes to a cross, right? He gives up his authority. He gives up his power. And he dies as a sacrifice. And if you, if you look at him and if you trust in him, you come under his reign. And you say to him, you're my king. You're my master. You're my Lord. I'm not good enough. You are. I trust in you. He's a suffering savior. He's a suffering king. But if that's the only way you see Messiah, it's a truncated view. If that's the only way you see Jesus, it's incomplete. The picture's incomplete. So look at verses 7 through 9. Here's the other side of it. I will tell of the decree. This is cool. The Messiah in the psalm, who at the time was the king, says, the Lord said to me, but we know because of that covenant with David, it goes beyond. And so picture Christ saying this. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Through his death, Jesus inherits the nations, right? All people can come to him now. But he will break the nations that he inherits. He didn't, God didn't do it in David's day. He didn't do it in Jesus' day. He's not doing it now. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering, but there's a time that's coming when he will pay everyone back who does not take refuge in him. Go to the end of the story in Revelation 19. It picks up on this, and here's what it says. Revelation 19, 15 through 16, speaking of Jesus. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. There's that phrase. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the picture is obviously figurative, but the point is made. At the end, there will only be one kingdom. And who's the one wiping it out, everyone out? It's Jesus. I don't know about you, but it makes me tremble to think that in the end, everyone who does not pledge allegiance to Christ will be wiped out. All the nations, even my own, the one I love, the one you love, in the end, will not be there. Does it make you tremble to think about all the rulers in the history of the world? Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, Julius Caesar, Mussolini, Hitler. Reagan, Obama, who will stand before Jesus and give an account. Oh, it makes me tremble to think about that. On the last day, there will only be one 
kingdom. And so countries and elections matter. They're just not ultimate. And that's what Psalm 2 is showing. Jesus is ultimate. His kingdom is ultimate. So the last question uh, is, where will you seek refuge? Verses 10 and 11, they lead right into that application. They're actually very practical. So look at them with me. 10 and 11. Now therefore, O kings, so speaking to the kings, but it will include us at the end. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The kings of the earth need a king. And wouldn't it be wonderful if our president knew that Jesus was king? Wouldn't it be wonderful? But here's something to remember. It is very hard for a politician to kiss the sun and be elected by millions of people who refuse to do so. It's very hard. And it's very hard for a president who has some measure of power over people to kiss the sun. The majority of leaders in the history of the world have not done that. And that's why this, that's why this warning is here. Say, you leaders, look at the influence and the power you have. Know that you need a king too. That you have a king. Kiss him. Worship him. Serve him. So what happens if they don't heed the warning? God will be angry with them. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Now, we talked about this in our staff meeting on Sunday. Well, I thought God was slow to anger. He is. Here's an image that might help you. God has a long wick, but he's got one. And it, and it burns. And it burns. It's long. But when it burns and it's out, there's no more delay. The chance is up. You get one shot. And so he got a, he's got a long wick, but he has one. And it burns. And so in some ways, this psalm, this is terrifying. I mean, this is harsh. This is heavy. But it ends incredibly positive, and I don't want you to miss that. Look at the very last phrase. It turns the warning into a benediction. Blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's two ways you can respond to this. You could try to take refuge from God, or you could try to take refuge in God. And the reality is there is no refuge from him. There's only refuge in him. So the rulers of the world, they see this as bondage, chains. I'm not going to take refuge in Messiah. I want to be king of the hill. We who belong to him see it as true safety, as true joy, true security, true happiness that no human could ever give us. We see the plotting and the scheming and the silliness for what it really is. And like R.A. said, like with my heart, with my soul, with everything, Jesus is my leader. He's my king. Now here's how you know you seek refuge in Messiah. You will be able to participate in this election and every election from here on out without despair because you know the present form of the world is passing away and in the end there will be only one kingdom. So you can walk into that uh, little box you'll go into on Tuesday. I don't care who you vote for, by the way. You fill the box in, fill the the thing in, you walk out and you say, Jesus, you're king. You're the king. On Tuesday night, no matter what happens, your joy will be in Christ. And you'll know that you are free to love everyone because vengeance doesn't belong to you. God will take care of it on the last day. 
You're free to love everybody. You'll be humble if your candidate wins, and you will be respectful if your candidate loses. And you will be able to pray for your new president and practice restraint. You will not go on social media and complain. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I don't know why you are. <laughs> you, you won't complain. You'll be salt and light, and you'll show how to do it differently because you trust in Messiah. So no matter what happens in the future, you'll have this rest and this peace because you will believe the words, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You trust in that. That's what it looks like to have refuge in Messiah. That's what Psalm 2 is getting at. For Israel back then and for you and me today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, this is a heavy, harsh word. At least it seems harsh to us. The countries of this world, the nations of this world that we are a part of, that we love, will one day be wiped out, and there will only be one king and one kingdom and one nation. Keep us from joining them and seeking refuge from you, trying to break free as if you could interfere with us and that would be bothersome. Would we not see it that way? But would we submit to you and your word and your reign? Would we submit to King Jesus and then be the best citizens that we can be and be salt and light in the world? Would we take refuge in you, oh God? Make us tremble. This should make us really serious. <coughs> and yet also the most joyous, happy, free people in the whole world. Because we know the end of the story, and it's so good. Jesus, you will come back. You will pay back your enemies. But for all those who trust in you and take refuge in you, you will save. And you will make them a kingdom of priests and kings. And we will be with you forever. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. So now we're going to come to the table of the king, the one who gave himself up for us, um, giving up his body and his blood, and yet who will come back again, uh, not to give himself up again, not to suffer again, uh, but will join him in a royal feast. And anyone who takes refuge in him can come to this table. So you might have had a bad week, a frustrating week. Now you might be down on yourself. You might feel uh, guilty. This is a table for people who will take refuge in Messiah, who will trust in him and know that he is their only hope. So on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Paul adds, whenever you drink this and eat this, you're proclaiming his death until he comes back to reign and make you a king and a priest with him. So come, come to the king's table and feast with him and his people.